just to get some context, this is our fourth sermon in this series on the pursuit, which is all about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Now, we started by talking about your call. What does Jesus do? He, to begin discipleship, Jesus calls us to become disciples. And we talked about that. And that's how we enter that relationship. Next, we talked about your testimony and how the testimony of a Christian is really our lives changing from the inside out, which then gives our words meaning, right? And how the only way that can happen is if we set, if we set our roots into Christ. If we allow Christ's heart to replace our heart, because out of our hearts, basically the actions of our life, that's where they grow from. And so the testimony of a Christian begins by by having Jesus give us that new life and that new heart and start to live out of that. Last week, we talked about your delight and how in Christ as a believer it's so important that we that we begin to love Jesus, that we begin to love God the way that he loves us. And to find a delight in him. And, and that really begins with, with spending time with him like any relationship. That, that in order to, to really begin to know God and to love God and to see things his way, we have to spend time with him. And we do that through Bible reading to get into the word. We do that in our prayer time. And in that time of prayer is to be real with God and open and to connect with him and to get to know God. But all those things lead us up to today's message, which is all about our attitude. How is it that God wants us to follow him? So we're going to go there. Now, today's passage that we're going to be using comes to us from the book of Acts, uh, Acts 9, 1 through 22. And I'm going to read it for you, but I got it from the uh, New Living Translation is what we'll be reading from today. And uh, this is what it reads. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Don't you love when you start a Bible passage like that? You're like, all right, it's going to get better from here, hopefully. So... He went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to all the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went and found Saul and he laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After he ate some food and he regained his strength, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation amongst, the Jesus, amongst Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? And Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. The reason I share that story, one, it's true, but two, it talks about two different individuals who had their attitudes checked by God, who who really had this opportunity to to, uh, follow God the way that he wants to be, right? And so it's a story of two different sides in how they lead to really the same place. And so that's why we're going there. Now, since we're talking about attitude today, our word for the day is attitude. And this is what an attitude is. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling that is reflected in a person's behaviors. Right. So what was Paul's or Saul's attitude towards Jesus? Well, he had a settled way of thinking about it, didn't he? Beforehand, he was breathing murderous thoughts with every breath, which is a little bit of a hyperbole. I'm sure he wasn't like, you know, I got to take out the garbage and kill those Christians. I'm sure that's not what it was like. But, uh, you know, but all the time it was on his heart and his mind. He just didn't like believers. He had a settled way of thinking about Jesus. He thought Jesus was a fraud. He had a deceiver. He thought those who, who, were part, who were Christians, who were his followers, were deceived, who were, were dangerous, were against God. That's what he thought. He was settled in his way of thinking. And it, didn't it prove itself out in his actions? Right? I mean, he went and he persecuted those in Jerusalem, and he did such a great job that he got letters to go to another city and export his, his reign of terror against them. Right? I mean, he was, his attitude affected his approach to Christianity. And how about Ananias? What was his attitude towards God? He was a follower of him, right? When God called him, he said, yes, Lord. His attitude towards God was God was Savior, but also Lord. Someone to be answered to and obeyed. And it proved out in his actions, right? God told him to do something very difficult, and he did it. See, our attitudes matter drastically as we follow Jesus. It's, it's very difficult to follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ. In fact, I would say it's pretty much darn near impossible to follow Christ the way he wants us to be if our attitude is wrong towards him. We have to have a settled way of thinking about Jesus that promotes and propels our actions to fall in line with what he wants. So how does that happen? We're going to look at the story. It gives us uh, uh, some pictures of how that happens. First thing we notice in the story is that Saul had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. It changed his attitude, right? Uh, as we begin, uh, and this is such an amazing thing. I tell you that right here, this story is one of the best evidences and proofs that our faith is real, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Because Paul, everyone knows that Paul lived. He was one of the most influential people in all of history, right? And Paul himself says, I killed Christians, this is who I was. And he, then he becomes one of the greatest evangelists of all times for Christians. He writes half of the New Testament for us. What happened? Paul references this several times in his writings and says, this is what happens. He tells this story again and again, saying, this is what happened. I saw the risen Lord Jesus. He called me. He changed me. Now, you explain Western history for the last 2,000 years if this event didn't happen. 
This is amazing. It was a life-changing, world-changing event. And it was, a, for, for Paul, more than anyone, right? So Paul is, is writing in, it says here, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats of every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Okay, that's where he starts. That's where he begins. And so Paul's attitude is set. It's there. And then he's riding up on to Jerusalem or to, to Damascus. He's on his donkey and God knocks him off. Boom. Right. And changes everything for Paul. Right. In fact, Jesus says to him this. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. You see, before Saul was on his own mission. Right. Saul was eager to go and to persecute Christians, to kill them. That's what Saul wanted. And Saul was all about his agenda. He was on his mission. And God shows up and says, nope, interruption, my mission. You go there and you're going to be told what to do. You're going to go to the place that you thought you were going, but not for the reason that you thought you were going. And you're going to do my thing now. Has God ever knocked you off your donkey? Have you ever had that time in life where you were about doing your thing that you thought, you know what, I'm going to do. <laughs> it's about my thing. This is what I'm up to. It's my agenda. Maybe you thought it was God's agenda too. Paul certainly did or Saul did at the time. And God interrupts you. And God changes it and challenges you. Those are important encounters in our life. We need to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. There has to become a time in our life where, where we stop saying, I am Lord of my life. And God steps in and we say, nope, <laughs> he's Lord of my life now. I, I may do things, but I'm doing things because they are what he wants me to do. That's called repentance, by the way. It's one of the ways that we come to Christ, right? It's the way we... we Exercise our faith. Paul certainly had that. Or Saul did. So God shows up and says, all right, you're going to be obedient now. You're going to do what I want you to do. And what happens? Saul had a, had a, had a, had a moment to decide. You see, his attitude towards Jesus was one thing, right? Up to this point, he had this idea. Jesus is a fraud. I'm not going to, he's against God. All this kind of stuff. That was his attitude. His actions proved it. Jesus shows up, says, you're going to obey me. Now, he could have kept his attitude. He could have kept his, his disposition toward Jesus and said, no, nope, I'm not going to follow you. You are a fraud and I will fight you. Or he could change. Aren't you glad he changed? Can you imagine what would happen if he didn't? Oh, we would still be believers. The New Testament still would have been written, right? The gospel still would have been shed. But you know what would have happened to Paul? Well, he still would have been Saul and he would have died Saul. And... Uh, his little kingdom that he built and his little reign of terror would be forgotten. And he would be basically a nothing, right? He, all of his work would have been completely worthless for his whole life. And instead, he changed his attitude. In fact, it says Saul picked himself up off the ground and his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. I love that because you know what? Saul couldn't even go to where God asked him to go by himself. He was blind. Right? You ever been in a place where God's telling you to do something? You just know that you have to be obedient, but you have no idea how you're going to get there? But he made sure he found a way. And remember the companions that he brought with him? What do you think their attitudes towards Jesus were? Right? And now he brings them along the way of propelling the gospel of Jesus. It doesn't matter. He knows what God wants him to do, and he is going to get to Damascus. He now knows who the real Lord is. His attitude has changed, right? His disposition to Jesus changed in an instant. 
That's a phenomenal thing. And he said, all right, it's proved out by his actions. It wasn't easy to get to Damascus, but he went. There was another character that we read next, Ananias. Ananias obeyed the will of God. And we read that in Acts uh, 9, uh, verses uh, 10, 10 through 19. Ananias is, a, is an interesting fellow because really we don't know much about him. But, uh, we know that he was a believer. He was in Damascus and he w- knew enough about what was happening in Jerusalem that he knew that, uh, that bad things were happening to his brothers and sisters there. And he knew he was responsible, right? That's what we know about Ananias. And we get this thing and God says to Ananias, go over to Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Okay? Has God ever given you a command that just seems absolutely insane? You just can't make sense of it? Because that's what happened to Ananias. He's like, hold up. <laughs> God's telling me to go to my enemy? You know, God does that sometimes. I think if we are following Jesus and there's never a time where God like doesn't make sense, we should be kind of nervous because he's brilliant. He's beyond us. And there are times that God does call us to things that maybe don't mesh with our understanding. That certainly happened with Ananias, but his attitude towards God was, was awesome. He knew he was Lord, but that didn't mean he didn't still have questions, legitimate questions. In fact, Ananias says this to God, but Lord, I know what this guy did, right? Look at the terrible things that he did to your believers in Jerusalem. When God tells us to do crazy things to us, right? When we, when we receive a command from God, when he shows us he wants to do it, and it makes no sense whatsoever. We need to obey. But God wants our heart too. That's why it's so important. We talked about last week's delight. You think Ananias had just a fear-based relationship with God the Father? No. You know, if it was just fear, you know, like, I'm going to do this. I don't, I don't know why. It makes no sense. But we're to do it, but inside he'd be questioning and doubting God the whole time, wouldn't he? He still needed to obey, but he had this delight in God. He was able to talk with him. If God told him to do something hard, he's able to say, I don't get it. <laughs> I just love that. He was real with God, connected with him. Not some rote prayer that was written by some saint 500 years ago that he repeats over and over again. He says to God, right now, you told me to do this and I don't understand. Maybe you don't have all the facts, God. <laughs> do you really know who this guy is? But of course God does. Answers his, his doubts. And it says this, so Ananias went and found Saul. He obeyed. It says, aren't you glad that Ananias had that attitude towards God that he did? Even when God told him to do something hard, even when he did something that didn't quite make sense to him fully, he still knew God well enough, trusted God enough that he was willing to obey. Ananias was the one that helped turn a Saul into a Paul. Isn't that amazing? Now, he could have walked away and said, God, you don't know what you're talking about. You're asking something stupid. I'm not going to do it. But instead, he didn't just call Jesus Savior. He called him Lord and said, okay. I don't fully know, but I know, okay, as long as you're in this, I'll do it. You know, there was a time a couple years ago in my life where I really struggled with, you know, God wasn't making sense. And the things in my life weren't lining up the way that I thought they ought to. And I was really questioning God. I really was. I was like, God, what are you doing? 
do you really do you really know what you're up to? Can I, right? You know what God had helped me with to see, and it was a period of time where I just had to go to Him, and I was obedient to Him the entire time, the best I could. But He always brought me back to the cross. It was the resurrection which helped me. Really, what it was was the empty tomb. Where I was like, I can't disregard the fact that I know that Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, that is historical fact. That just is proven. If Jesus raised from the dead, it means that he died on the cross. It also means he's God. And if God died on the cross, he did it for a reason, and I can trust the word which tells me why. Because God loves me. Even when I don't deserve it, even when I was his enemy, God loves me enough to die for me to give me a new life. Well, in that short period of my life when God didn't make sense, and boy, did he not make sense, God reminded me of the bigger thing that I know that he loves me. He's got my best interest in his heart. And if he's asking me to walk through a painful, difficult time or asking me to do something difficult that I don't understand, I don't have to doubt him because I don't have to doubt his love. I know that he's brilliant enough, that he knows what he's doing. I know that he cares for me enough. And if he asks me to walk through this difficult thing, he's going to see me through it. I had to delight in God first. And that's what enabled me to walk through dark times. That's what allowed me to have the right attitude towards God. To know that I could go to Him and trust Him when He asked me to obey. I think Ananias must have had that too. Third thing we see though is when followers of Jesus obey the will of God, they make disciples. It's just what what you do. You plant an apple tree. You water it for a while. You give it sunshine, you give it the nutrients that it needs, and guess what? You get apples. You take a disciple. You plant your life in Christ. You water it with the Word. You feed it with prayer. You spend time with God. You connect your heart with God. Guess what you're going to get? More disciples. Remember a couple weeks ago, we did a memory verse. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. It's not a question if it's going to happen. Disciples build disciples. That's what they do. But Jesus warns in that passage. He says, but apart from me, you can't do anything. You know, our church, we have a passion. We have a vision, something that just drives within us. We want to see this valley saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. But that means it's not just that everybody knows what Jesus' name is, but everyone in our community has an understanding that Jesus loves them, that he is God the Son, that he came to this earth to die for them, so that and he rose again so that they could have a new life in him. And all they have to do is to believe in Him and turn to Him as their God and their Savior and they can have a new life, not just forever, but also now. That they understand the best possible way so they can make an informed decision whether or not they want to follow Him. That's what it means to saturate our community with with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know how we're going to do that? We do that by being disciples. In fact, if we are intentional about being disciples, it's going to be impossible for us not to saturate this community with the gospel. We will... We will make disciples. This is what's going to happen. But if our church, we want to reach the gospel, this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we want to do it in our own power, we don't want to be disciples first, Jesus said, apart from you, you could do nothing. We're going to have a lot of great programs. We're going to entertain a lot of people for a while. And we're not going to reach anybody. Not really. We're not going to make disciples. The power of our faith begins with, with Christ. Our love for Him. But we have to obey. And when we obey Him, when we love Him enough to obey Him, we're just naturally going to make disciples. In fact, we see this with Saul. 
It says, immediately Saul began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. In fact, later on, it says his, his preaching became more powerful. In fact, no one could refute the fact that from the Old Testament, Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they should have been looking for. You know who else made a disciple? Ananias. He obeyed Jesus, and guess what? Boom! Disciple was made. You think about what a powerful man Ananias must have been in faith. <laughs> he discipled one of the greatest disciples of all time. When you obey Jesus, when you trust him, when you begin to see him in life, when you begin to love him and, and just connect into his heart, and you begin to obey him, even when he doesn't fully make sense, but you know that you can trust him because you love him, you will make disciples. That was what our verse today, our memory verse, is all about. You're going to be his witnesses. Our Jerusalem is Estes Park. Our Judea is Colorado. Right? Our Samaria, Nebraska, most likely. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Kansas, yeah. <laughs> but we have outreach at the end of the earth, too, right? It's just what we're going to do. We're going to make disciples. And that's how God works. But we have to be willing to obey God. So, let's talk about disciples' attitude then. How do we do this? What is our attitude that we need to have for Jesus? You know what Paul wrote later on? This is Philippians. Paul, who was Saul, who changed his name to Paul because it sounds cooler. That's really not why, but this is what Paul wrote about discipleship. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's the attitude of disciple. It's the same attitude as Jesus. Now, I'm going to read the rest of you because it's small print. He explains this attitude that Jesus had. He says, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. That's the attitude of Jesus. He has got a, Jesus has a settled disposition towards God the Father, and that's this. And it's our attitude, too. It is submission and obedience to God the Father. That's what it is. Now, those are, those are dirty words in our culture, aren't they? Submission and obedience. That's because we usually apply them to people who don't deserve, like, who don't take their, uh, and they deserve to have the obedience usually, but they don't respect it. They abuse it for their own gain. That's not the way our God is. Uh, Jesus is, because Jesus knew the, the will of the Father, he knew the heart of the Father. Jesus, who is God, was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. Are you able to say that to God? That's what obedience is all about. If you only obey God when you agree with Him, you're not obeying Him. You're just doing what you would do anyhow. Right? It's just convenient. But when you come to places in your life where God says this and you say, I don't want that, but I will do it anyway, that's obedience. That's when the kingdom of God is made real in you. You know what we prayed last week? We said, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven, that's when that makes true in your life. That's the power of obedience in you. What gives us the ability to obey God and to submit to Him? There are two things. Fear and love. That's where obedience and submission come from. And, and we, we find out in Proverbs that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom discipline, right? That, that if we fear God, we know who he is. He is God, right? He is worthy of being obeyed by the mere fact that he is God. 
Right? That's one reason why we obey him. But God gave us also another, a deeper reason. Love. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. That's the command. Why? It enables us, empowers us to obey him, not just to do what he wants us to do, but to do it in the way he wants us to do it. It's, it's our love for him that gives us the trust to obey him and to follow him, to do his thing. Now, here's the cool thing about God. He's worthy of our trust. He knows what he's doing. Way better than we do. And so the power of the Christian life, it, it begins with, with God's love for us, but is propelled by our love for him. It, it, is, it is empowered by our willingness to lay down our rights and our, willing, our kingdom for his. Jesus said, if you, if you cling to your life, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find real life. If Saul kept his kingdom, right, clung to his life, his attitude towards God, his right to do whatever he wanted to do, Saul would be forgotten in his and he would have missed out on an amazing opportunity. But Saul laid down his life, literally, daily. And God did something amazing in him. You know, God does that with us. So we uh, ask the worship team to come up, and I bring this sermon to a close. The challenge for us is to obey God, right? We need to change our attitude towards God or check our attitude towards God. Is our settled disposition toward Jesus that he is just Savior? Or is that he's also God? He's also Lord. Do we view God as a way of saying that he's somehow distant and mean and, and just telling us to do stuff just arbitrarily? Or is our disposition towards God that he is loving and kind and personal and present? If our disposition towards God is that, you know, he doesn't know as well as I do how to run this world, then our actions will prove that. And we will try to take over things in our own lives, in our world. And guess where that gets us? basically where we are now, a world in chaos and brokenness and, and destruction, lives being torn apart by all manner of sin and bad kinds of things. But if we change our attitude towards Jesus, if we, if we start to believe what is true about him, that he is, truly knows better than we do, right? That he truly loves us more than we could possibly comprehend. That he's really about things that are bigger than us. That his kingdom is actually more worthy of building than our own and that we have a place in that, then our actions will prove it. And our lives will begin to take on a meaning that they never could have otherwise. Now today, what do you do with that? I hate to hear the word and not do something about it. In your bulletin, there's a green card, which I put right here. I want you to pull that out. You already filled out, hopefully, the part. Let me know that you hear out. I want you to turn it around in the back. How do you respond to God? Well, I have some, some ideas. One is to memorize Acts 1.8. That's the passage that we, we talked about today. And, and don't just memorize it so you memorize a verse. Think about it this week. Ask God as you memorize it, what is God wanting from you? What does it really mean to, to, to go and to, to tell people about him? What does that mean? Pray to God. Ask him to help show you what, how you can obey that in your own life. Memorize Acts 1.8. You already got a head start. Also, maybe it's, maybe it's reading a chapter in the Bible each day. Why? Because the Bible is God's revelation to us. It's how he shows us what he wants us to do, right? It's how he reveals his will to us. Maybe you don't have a habit of being in the Word. Maybe you haven't gone through the Word. Maybe you don't even know what God wants from you. If that's you, maybe to just say, you know what, I'm going to commit to spending some time with God 
in the Bible this week. Let's find out what he wants from me. And if you have any questions about where to start in that, come talk to me. I would love to show you how to start reading and where to start reading the Word. Or maybe you already know the Word pretty good, and you're already in the Word. Maybe, it's, maybe you need to start praying each day for God to reveal His will to you. Maybe you know the Word, but you just don't know exactly what it is or, or how to obey or have the strength to obey. Maybe what you need to challenge yourself this week to commit to is, I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to talk to Him about this, and I'm going to ask, what is your will so it can be done? That is, mark that down. Or maybe it's to commit to start or stop something. You know God wants you to, to commit to, right? Maybe there's something in his word or something he's revealed to you in prayer, something he's told you to do and you're not doing, and you say, all right, I need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to be like Ananias and go and do the thing that God wants me to do. Or maybe you're doing something that God said, you know what, you really need to stop doing that. And you know it's true, and you just know that you're not being obedient. Maybe it's, it's time to start saying, okay, God, you are Lord. Let us know if that's maybe there's something else. God's working you. I'm coming with all the ideas. Maybe the Holy Spirit's working in your heart right now and telling you, this is what I want you to do. Mark that down. And in a few minutes, uh, we're going to pass the baskets. Do you have any prayer requests this week that you want us to pray for? I encourage you to mark those down too. You will be prayed for this week if there's anything that we can pray for. But also, if you let, you, if you let me know what you're doing, I'll be praying for you. You're not in this alone. And God and His Holy Spirit will give you His power to complete what the task that he's called you to do. God is with you in this. So we're going to pray in a minute. Uh, we're going to take the offering. And what I want you to do is take this green thing and put it in the offering um, with your offering. Put it in there as we collect those. But first... Uh